good day to be indigenous. Get up, stand up. They are going to become more brutal. Couldn't cut, any cut again. Because all the hippies were trying to be Indians anyway. They're going to become more repressive because it's a matter of dollars and their illusionary concepts of power. Hey, Victor. We must live in balance with the earth. And also with recent happenings at Wounded Knee. I am awake. Welcome to Native Roots Radio Presents I'm Awake, and I'm your host, Wakanja Hade. Hey, Kadagi to all my friends and relatives in four directions. You are listening to Native Roots Radio Presents I'm Awake. And I'm your host, Robert Pilot, and we discuss local and national Native news and events. And as you know, Native issues are human issues, and human issues are Native issues. And this portion of the show was brought to you by MN350, a grassroots organization fighting for climate justice. Hey, tonight we got Nancy Bolio on, and I have some clips uh, from today. I was at the the Clyde Belcourt Urban Initiative, a legacy initiative at the state capitol. And there were some uh, serious uh, speeches that I have recorded and that we can comment on. And uh, so there's a lot happening here in the Twin Cities and all over Native land. And I feel like uh, Ogama, Twin Cities in a lot of ways, and Minnesota specifically, uh, leads the way in a lot of Native initiatives. And uh, um, it, that, that's a good thing. Yeah, you know, depending on, you know, what the initiative is and, you know, what's happening in the legislature at any given time. Um, Minnesota, I think, is one of the states uh, in the continental U.S. that has some of the most Native legislators as well. Right. And then we I heard today, and I think we've talked about this, too, that uh, the Twin Cities has the biggest urban uh, uh, Native community in the country, which... I think we've talked about that, but I heard that today. So without <laughs> without any further ado, let's get with uh, Ogama with the news that you don't hear anywhere else, like what I just said. <laughs> hey, Buju relatives. This is Ogama Ganuakwe, and I'm a citizen of the Red Lake Nation in northern Minnesota, and I'm coming to you from central Minnesota or Minnesota, Makoche, and Dakota homelands here, and I have some news and information for you. Uh, the first thing that I want to talk about is the uh, MN350 action that's coming up. Um, it's Stop Dirty Banks. It's March 21st uh, from 12 p.m. to 1 p.m., and it's reminding people that banks are a huge element of the climate crisis, and there is something that people can do to stop it. March 21st, everyone's gathering outside of Wells Fargo Center in the Twin Cities to pressure them to stop financing fossil fuels. It is a part of a national day of action to end investments in fossil fuels and to send a message to the banks that are funding the climate crisis. Stop financing fossil fuels or we'll take our money and put it in better banks. So this is your uh, notice that if you have your money in uh, Wells Fargo, uh, they are financing the climate crisis. Uh, so it might be a good idea to consider a different bank. Um, and if you are available on March 21st from 12 to 1, they'll be at the Wells Fargo Center in the Twin Cities in Minnesota. But I do believe uh, many other places, like up here where I live in central Minnesota, uh, they're still going to be at our local Wells Fargo. So uh, take action from wherever you can. Speaking of taking action, I want to remind everybody to uh, show up for the uh, Taxpayer Protection Act on uh, the Prove It First Day in the Minnesota Legislature on um, April 4th, it looks like. Um, Prove It First is uh, wrapped into the Taxpayer Protection Act. And what it is, is um, copper, sul copper sulfide mining and uh, reminding and uh, advocating for Minnesota and its water and people that copper sulfide mining has never been done safely anywhere. And the, uh, the, um, excuse me, the taxpayer protection act, um, includes, uh, language that will help, um, Minnesota to be protected from this. So basically, Minnesota's current financial assurance requirements, basically what the state of Minnesota requires companies who are coming in to do things like mine or, you know, build pipelines, those kinds of things, are really inadequate to protect against or clean up after an environmental disaster. And um, this company that wants to put in polymet and twin metals also has a really terrible, terrible track record um, in other countries in South 
South America and other places. And this type of mining has not been done safely anywhere in the world. So this bill asks those uh, companies to make sure that they have the money in hand when they um apply for these permits to do this mining in Minnesota. And the reason they don't have that money in hand is uh, they're essentially piling on IOUs. Um, and they say that they do not have to have, thanks to the Minnesota legislature, they do not have to have the money to clean up a spill until after nine years of the mine being in development. So, or being in, um, active. So after 11 years, you know, if the price of copper and nickel suddenly plummet or there's, you know, some sort of change, these companies could essentially pack up and leave Minnesota and uh, stick Minnesota with, you know, billions of dollars uh, possibly of uh, damages that they would have to clean up. So this is um, really important legislation. And if you have uh, the time, make sure to contact your legislator, legislator or Governor Walls, uh, which you can do. Uh, Friends of the Boundary Waters has a really great and easy form that you can fill out on their website and they'll help you uh, submit a letter and find your representatives to be able to say, hey, prove it first when it comes to copper and sulfide nickel mining here in Minnesota. Um, the big thing that I wanted to talk about today, though, Robert, and I am not uh, really looking forward to it, um, is the IPCC, Robert, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, released yesterday uh, that urgent climate, act, climate action is the only way to secure a livable future for everyone. They said they opened up the press release with hope, saying there are multiple feasible and effective options to reduce greenhouse gas emissions and adapt to human-caused climate change, and they are available now, and that we need to mainstream effective and equitable climate action, not only to reduce losses, and be clear here, losses and damages for nature and people. They're talking massive loss of human life and animal life as well, but it would also provide wider benefits. Right now, the IPCC highlighted that uh, the scale of the challenge to keep from the planet warming, excuse me, to keep the planet from warming to 1.5 degrees Celsius um, is still is still going. Um, and every increment of warning is rapidly escalating hazards. Um, and, you know, they're really um, kind of vague a little bit in this uh, press release about what these things um, have. But, um, to be effective, these choices need to be rooted in our diverse values, worldviews, and knowledges, including scientific knowledge, indigenous knowledge, and local knowledge. And this approach will facilitate climate resilience development and allow locally appropriate, socially acceptable solutions. That, I think, is what we've really been talking about. Uh, that's the meat and potatoes of what we've been talking about um, in the Stop Line 3 movement, in the No Dabble movement, in all of these things, uh, climate resilience development is uh, about bringing it back to our communities and relying on our knowledge from our ancestors. And uh, now more than ever, it's going to be um, a, a, a problem. Uh, they estimate that approximately 30 to 50% of the Earth's land, freshwater, and ocean need to be um, conserved right now. And uh, that is uh, not something that we're set to do at this time. So I really hope that there is a better understanding of the kind of consequences that we'd be facing um, with the continuation of overconsumption and helping to people to make more informed choices. Although as consumers, uh, most of us, like we talked about yesterday, Robert, are uh, you know not to blame. So many of these mega companies need to be held accountable for the damage that they are doing. So we've got two degrees Fahrenheit before uh, we start losing a lot of people. So get with the program, everybody. Wow. Hey, Ogma, thanks for the for the news and also thanks for uh, the update and uh, reminding us all where we're at here in this climate and uh, as a world. Um, it's dire and I'm glad we talk about it. So Pini Gigi Ogma. Hey, up next, uh, Nancy Bolio, Bemidji 350 and MN350 talking about the climate and what we're doing here. So again, thanks again, Ogma, with the news. We'll be right back after this short break. Please stay with us. ho
Olgama, I've been hearing a lot about this term, climate justice. What is that? Climate justice is recognizing that the negative impacts of climate change don't affect all people equally. It also means transitioning from a fossil fuel-based economy to a more sustainable future. MN350 is one of the groups that's pushing for this transition to protect our futures. You can even get involved too. That's great, especially since I'm concerned about pipeline projects like Line 3. How can I help MN350? Just find them on Facebook or visit mn350.org. Boost your immunity and help protect your community. COVID-19 is still here, but it's not too late to get your booster. Staying up to date with vaccines can help build protection that has decreased since your last shot and provide better protection against newer variants. Boosters are an important part of protecting yourself from getting seriously ill from COVID-19. To learn more and schedule your appointment, visit ramseycounty.us slash COVID vaccine. ramseycounty.us slash COVID vaccine. I heard sex trafficking happens a lot in Indian country. What is that? Here are some of the real reasons why sex trafficking happens in Indian country. Unequal gender roles that were forced on us by colonization. Communities don't have enough resources. Silence around domestic and sexual violence. Lack of attention and justice for missing and murdered indigenous people. There's a lot of behavior that keeps our communities out of balance. These are just a few true reasons why native communities are targeted by traffickers. When these acts of violence happen in our communities, it opens us all up for exploitation. Sponsored by the Minnesota Indian Women's Sexual Assault Coalition. Would you let animals pick your insurance? Do you really need to experience mayhem to get the best rates? Or how about a celebrity quarterback or fake university saving you money? There's a lot of marketing stunts when it comes to insurance, but what you really need is someone looking out for you. Call Array Insurance, and they will work hard to find you the best insurance coverage and rates. So avoid gimmicks and call Cheryl at Array, 763-504-3067 or ArrayInsurance.com. Array Insurance, working hard for you. This is Winona LaDuke of Honor the Earth, and you're listening to Native Roots Radio. I'm awake. Welcome back to Native Roots Radio presents I'm Awake, and this is Robert Pilot. This portion of the show is brought to you by the Native American Community Clinic, honoring health and tradition. Very good. Yes, they do. Thanks, Ogama. Hey, we have Nancy Bolio on the line. And uh, Ogama, I wonder if you could take over for just a second here. I got a hungry dog here that won't stop barking. <laughs> sure. <laughs> um, I just, I, I'm going to touch base for just a couple more seconds here on the uh, IPCC to kind of, uh, you know, condense it for people. Uh, The world is likely to pass the dangerous temperature threshold of 1.5 degrees Celsius or 2 degrees Fahrenheit within the next 10 years, unless nations drastically transform their economies and immediately transition away from fossil fuels. And uh, this has been one of the most definitive reports that's ever been published about climate change from the UN Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. And uh, it warns that um, once we are beyond that threshold, which is expected to happen in the early 2030s, that it the climate disasters are going to be so extreme that people will not be able to adapt. And they're expecting uh, heat waves, famines, and infectious disease that could claim the lives of millions of people by the end of the century. So this is what we're up against right now when we talk about uh, climate change and rising temperatures. So um, I don't know. Uh, do we have Nancy on the line with us already? I am here. Can you hear hey, me? Hey, Bonjour, Nancy. Welcome to Native Roots Radio. It's good to have you back. Yeah, it's always a pleasure to be here. And um, right in the moment, I am calling in from a sugar bush camp just uh, two miles from my home, pretty much in my backyard on some ceded territory in 1855, treaty lands. And again, I'm close to, you know... Um, um, the Turtle River, and this is a sugar bush, and, and why we're here. You know, you were just talking about um, climate change, and we're in an um, area where there's mature maples. They're 40 years old, and there's all kinds of different, you know, trees and, and life and medicines in this forest. And we, we have to, you know, understand that, you know, it's not just uh, fossil fuels. Um, pipelines and those kind of things, but when we cut the trees down, cutting down forests to create farms or pastures or or for other reasons causes emissions since trees, when they are cut, release the carbon they have been storing. So since 
you know, the forests uh, absorb carbon dioxide, destroying them also hurts nature's ability to keep the emissions out of the atmosphere. And, you know, you talk about that, the, the, those diseases, you know, deep in the layers of um, our ices and all, you know, the permafrost, all that stuff holds diseases, bad things. And once everything starts melting and, and creating all these floods and all these bad things, those new diseases are going to be introduced to, to us today and we're not going to be ready for that. And so we're kind of holding space here in, in Sugarbush because we feel we have to save the forest to protect our way of life. You know, sugarbushing is a part of who we are. And again, um, it's part of climate change, just cutting this whole forest down. And so we're here again, holding treaty space in a good way. And um, um, tonight will be a second night of camp. And yesterday DNR showed up and tried to confiscate our bags and um, make us sleep, but that didn't happen. Right on, Nancy. Hey, thanks, Ogama. Uh, we've got a new medication on for our dog, and this dog is like <laughs> telling me he's hungry at the craziest times. Um, thanks again for being on, and Ogama, thanks for stepping in. Uh, maybe you can uh, let our audience know what sugar bushing is, because I think a lot of people out there, uh, our allies out there, don't know what that is and how deep that runs in our traditions. Yeah, that's uh, people have been doing it for thousands of years, and our maples, and um, you know, this is the new year for us, and um, so nature will bring us some gifts in this season. And part of one of those gifts is the maple syrup, and um, we'll tap the trees um, when the um, temperature is somewhere between uh, 18 and 20 during the night, and um, when the temperature is uh, above freezing um, during the day, that's when the um, the the maple the the syrup comes out of the tr- well it's not syrup but it comes out of the trees it's actually liquid like water and um, we collect it and then we bring it into camp and we um, obviously do all that prayer and good stuff and um, we boil it down to um, syrup and we can make candies and you know mix berries in with it there's just so many ways our people rely on the maple syrup and um, yeah in this forest. A lot of these trees are about 40 years old, and um, to cut them down would be just something horrible. And um, in this particular part of um, the place that we're camping in is part of the migration story. So this is a heritage site, and we're actually on state land. And so when DNR was here yesterday, he reminded me we were on state land and we needed a permit. But I said, no, I'm 1855, don't need one. And I have a right to be here. So he made some phone calls to some higher-uppers, and then in the end, um, he left on good terms. But um, I think they know we know our rights, Robert, because he he said uh, after speaking to the higher-uppers, we may or may not be back, and he gave us our tapping bags back. Wow. It hasn't been back since. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, Nancy, just imagine if you didn't know about the treaties uh, that, you know, one of our young ones that might not be a- a- adapt to that or a- apt to that uh, treaty. And then they would have just uh, gave up their bags and went home. Yeah, that's what one of the um, gals was saying as I was walking in this morning. She said, I'm so glad you were here because if it was me, we probably wouldn't be here right now. So. Um, you know, again, this goes back to, like, uh, um, one of our elders always says, what good are our treaty rights if we don't assist them? And, you know, there's so much healing in the woods. It's just the sense of community and all that good stuff, you know. And, again, if we don't go back to our ways, we won't find that healing. And it's also an excuse for these departments, um, you know, like the forestry department and the DNR to say, hey, they weren't tapping them anyways. Go ahead and buy them and cut them out. You know, so, again, it's up to us to be out here to do this and do it in a good way. And um, DNR said yesterday, he goes, what are you guys here to protest and get a citation? And I said, no, we're actually here in a cultural way. This we're supposed to be here. I belong here. And um, there's no, you have no authority as DNR to interpret those treaties and tell me I can't be here. So um, he hasn't been back since. 
So um, we've been here a full day with no one out here harassing us. And back to the DNR, I, I told him, if you guys quit showing up and harassing us and giving us citations, we wouldn't be getting citations. And no, we're not protesting. We're here because we belong here. We have those rights. So they wanted, you know, like deem us or, you know, protesters. So, so they have an excuse to ask us to leave. So it's about how you show up too, Robert. You got to show up like that, they say. <laughs> well, right on, uh, Ogama and Nancy. I mean, talk about demonizing us. And um, that really sounded racist to me in a big way about, oh, you're going to protest now because, you know. We're telling you to, you know, unplug these trees, and or are you protesting now? Uh, that sounds terrible here. It is, and actually, you know, um, the good news is we we got the Leech Lake DRM on our side, and if um, there's some um, discussion that maybe at some point they'll bring out a permit for us to be here, uh, we're not supposed to accept the permit, and um, yeah, we just. Uh, have the support of the Leech Lake uh, DRM, and then our uh, tribal historical preservation officer will be out to, um, you know, take a look, see, and see what's out here, and and write a report to DNR to say no, that you, you can't do this. And again, it's back to that trust responsibility on behalf of the government, and exactly. um, we trust that they would take care of these things and signing those treaties as um, Native people, Robert. We signed our ancestors signed those treaties to protect our way of life. And what good is any of that if the fish are poisoned and there's no more forest and no more medicine, no more monomen? What do we do? Right. You know, Nancy. Before we get going here, um, there's Allison that uh, asked a really great question. Uh, How can this not be part of their training? I mean, again, and that goes back to education. How? how they want to whitewash our education about what's happened to Native Americans in my lifetime, in your grandmother's left lifetime, Ogama's grandfather or father and grand grandfather and grandmother's life, lifetime. I mean, how can they not know this stuff? And I, th- I think Nancy went. Uh, I think went we might have lost Nancy. <laughs> That's she was, hopefully she. Joined back but i mean yeah. um yeah i mean i think that there's um you know e- even more rapidly than people are realizing i think that there's generations of uh even native people who are growing up who don't have like my my grandmother uh was part of the boarding school era and i heard some stories from her and i know that um, you're part of the 60s scoop, Robert. And I think that the next couple of generations behind us, they're, they're growing up sometimes without those stories of how those things happened um, and what, what we really lost. And um, if we don't tell them what was lost, then they don't know, you know what to fight for. And I think that it's really important that we keep telling those stories and keep reminding our youth and um, people that are just now coming to the way to um, keep fighting for it. Absolutely. Wow. Great uh, comment. Uh, We're going to come back and we're going to talk about what happened at the Capitol. We're uh, releasing Nancy from the rest of the show because she's working hard with the sugar bush. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit of what happened at the Capitol today. And I got some clips I'd I'd love to have you, Ogama, and I talk about uh, after we listen to them. So, hey, you're listening to Native Roots Radio Presents I'm Awake, and we'll be right back after this short break. Stay with us. Minnesota has the only original wolf population in the continental United States. And 80% of Minnesotans believe the wolf should be protected. Howling for Wolves is asking Minnesotans to respect our true wildlife manager, the wolf. Their survival is critical to our ecosystems, our communities, and even our economy. As highly intelligent animals with strong social bonds, Minnesota wolves deserve to be protected and admired. Learn more at howlingforwolves.org. Let's Let's live live and and let howl. JNS Bean Factory is a native-owned, community-supported, cozy, artsy coffee shop which offers roasted on-site beans, live music, and baked goods. Relax in the beautiful outside patio. City Pages writes, voted top 10 coffee shops. Tucked into a quiet corner of St. Paul's Highland Park neighborhood, this coffee shop roasts beans on-site from the best coffee-growing countries in the world. 
located at 1518 Randolph Avenue, St. Paul. The good stuff. It's me, your heart. High blood pressure is serious. And if you think I'm just going to keep ticking away, you're wrong. I can quit whenever I want, but I like my job. Just treat me better. Maybe we can do some exercise on occasion. After all, we're in this together. Don't let your heart quit on you. High blood pressure can lead to a stroke, heart attack, or death. Get yours to a healthy range before it's too late. Find out how at heart.org slash blood pressure. A message from the American Heart Association, the American Stroke Association, and the Ad Council. Hello, Minneapolis. It's Randy Rhodes on your radio in the heart of the Midwest every weeknight from 10 to midnight on AM 950. At Woodland Stoves and Fireplaces, we have wood stoves that qualify for the new 30% income tax credit, a great opportunity to get an efficient stove and heat with renewable energy. Right now, avoid supply chain delays, avoid the fall rush, avoid bad weather installation, And save money because we are now discounting the price on all chimney parts you need for installation for any of Woodland's new stoves and fireplaces. We can help you with the stove and the chimney planning. Want to do it yourself? We will help you determine all the parts needed with our installation know-how. We have been installing wood stoves and fireplaces for over 45 years. Woodland Stoves and Fireplaces has over 35 working wood, gas, and electric units on display at the corner of East Franklin and Riverside Avenue in Minneapolis. Save money. Take advantage of the spring and summer chimney discounts when you buy any fireplace product right now at Woodland Stoves and Fireplaces. Eat Local Minnesota is a great way to find locally owned Minnesota restaurants and food purveyors. You'll find high quality food and unique eating experiences with dishes from around the world. Just visit eatlocalminnesota.com for your next meal. Come visit the award-winning Hazel's Northeast in Minneapolis for breakfast, lunch, dinner, or weekend brunch. For breakfast, try the slow-cooked brisket hash, hippie cakes, and meat waffle. While for lunch, enjoy favorites like the buttermilk fried chicken sandwich or veggie burger. Hazel's is open Tuesdays through Saturdays, 8 to 8, with a Sunday brunch from 8 to 2. Located off 29th and Johnson in Northeast Minneapolis. More at hazelsne2go.com. If you're craving barbecue, then don't drive too fast or you will miss Scott Jamama's Hot Barbecue, located at 3 West Diamond Lake Road in Minneapolis. Scott Jamama's offers mouth-watering baby back ribs, grilled chicken, and half-pound pulled pork sandwiches. The potato salad, spicy baked beans, and twice-baked potatoes should not be missed. More details at scottjamamas.com. With your AM 950 weather, I'm Patrick Lilia. Rain expected tonight with a low around freezing, then cloudy on Wednesday with a high of 38. Cafe Latte is unlike any restaurant you've ever experienced. Grab a tray and pick from their award-winning selections of soups, salads, sandwiches, and mouth-watering desserts. Cafe Latte, Victoria Street and Grand Avenue in St. Paul, or CafeLatte.com. Bijou. I am Oshawashko Gijig. I'm from Red Lake Nation, and you're listening to Native Roots Radio. Welcome back to Native Roots Radio presents I'm Awake. Hey, this portion of the show is brought to you by uh, the Native American Community Development Institute. <clears throat> hey, you, you faked me out there. I thought you were going to go with Howling for Wolves. I was getting ready there. <laughs> hey, uh, Ogamot, I just got to tell you a quick couple things here. Uh, I was at the Capitol today, and it was the Urban Indigenous Legacy Initiative, and it's a collective of uh, 16 Native American nonprofit organizations in the Twin Cities, and it's focused on issues ranging from healthcare to housing, workforce development to childcare that have provided our communities with powerful and effective services for decades. They're seeking uh, $136 million, and that's for all these uh, 16 organizations. And there was a rally. There was a press conference. Um, so I have uh, I have a clip here I'd like to play. Uh, the governor spoke to everybody, and I'm going to play that clip if you don't mind. And then we can kind of comment on this uh it's kind of uh, interesting for a couple reasons, but that, let's listen to it, and then we'll comment on it, Ogama. This has not always been the friendly place. This has been the place that worked against you and your people. This is the place that made it difficult for you. This is the place that passed laws 
that tried to make sure you were not part of Minnesota. And I think the acknowledgement of that is the very ground floor of where things start. What you're here for today is saying, yes, we know all of that. What we want to know is, what are we going to do about it today? What are we going to do to deliver on projects that improve the quality of life for our children and our people? What are we going to do to make sure that opportunities are available truly for all Minnesotans? What are we going to do to provide the resources necessary, whether it's around homelessness, food security, whether it's dealing with an opioid epidemic and health disparities that impact indigenous communities at a rate seven times higher. And so coming as a coalition, and just to be clear, State of Minnesota is working really hard to work with our 11 sovereign nations on government-to-government -government relationships. But I recognize the group that's here and the coalition that's been built is a recognition that Minneapolis and St. Paul specifically have one of the largest urban indigenous populations in the country. And services that are rendered at the tribal nations are different than services delivered here. And this is nothing new for the past 50 plus years. The organizations that are represented here have done that. I hope that my message this year would be a little different. Folks have come with things to advocate in the Capitol for years. And they come with things that they know need to be done. They know things that are popular and they run into roadblocks where it ends up looking like you brought a wish list rather than a to-do list. So when you bring projects on bonding bill and they total 136 million, you're not just making up a number, you've decided that these are projects and vetted them that make a difference. So I want you to know, we have proposed $2.3 billion in a bonding bill with 200 million of that specifically on equity for, for communities that have not been able to be a part of that. So, so as you're talking to legislators, and again, I will tell you this, we had an opportunity last week to pass a bonding bill. We weren't able to do that because that takes a super majority. Well, we will just simply pay for it, and if you don't want to support it, we will have the votes to pass it anyway, because these projects are too important. So, as you're here, with a historical expectation that this building will not deliver for this community the way they should, I understand that. I think the only thing that will change that perception is actually getting these projects done of actually seeing money go to reduce homelessness, to tackle some of the issues. That is the thing. We have gotten by in the past by simply acknowledging our issues or acknowledging a problem. It has become a real problem of admiring the problem without putting up specific solutions. And I can tell you the last thing you need is to have someone not from the community, old white guys here, determine what the community needs. Those never work. Those never work. What works is, is the ability of what we're doing and doing it with our tribal nations. We did this during COVID and I'm going to do it again around housing. Direct appropriations to the communities that can make the decisions necessary to improve lives. Those are the best results we have. Those are the best results. So, I want to thank you for being here with your advocacy. I want to thank you for sharing this land that we all stand on, understanding that we are going to undertake some of these things, whether it's indigenous education for all, so that all of our children, my children, your neighbor's children, understand the true history of this. And then we are going to correct It's my expectation that we are going to pass legislation to transfer the Upper Sioux State Park, which was a location of pain anguish and death for the yellow medicine people our goal is to with the help of the federal government and the interior transfer that state park to the ownership of the yellow medicine people to honor their land the way they need to Those, any any help on these initiatives would be appreciative we know that this is going to take advocacy from all of you. It's going to take advocacy from the governor and lieutenant governor's office. It's going to take the work with the legislative leaders. But we know this is the right work to do, and I've said this and I'll continue to say it. If our indigenous children and our indigenous families are doing well, everybody else is doing well. So the issue on this is 
making sure that we truly honor a one Minnesota, really honor a history that we need to tell that has not been positive for everyone in this state, but with concrete steps to improve on that and move forward. That's what you're here for. Here's the good news. We got seven weeks to the end of session. We can truly make transformational change in seven weeks, and our kids can't wait another year. Our families can't wait for another legislative session. This is the one. So thank you all. Wow, Ogma, your thoughts. Uh, pretty, uh, I like the term, uh, you know, he was saying that uh, one of the things about our history and education needs to be taught to everybody, uh, not just to ourselves, but to everyone in the state. Uh, that was pretty uh, right on. And then also, um, you know, when we're, it's an old Paul Wellstone kind of a comment, uh, if uh, we're doing well, everyone's doing well kind of thing. Yeah, you know, I, I agree with you on the education front for sure. And I think that that would go, honestly, like the furthest in how people know, interact with, and understand Indigenous peoples uh, in Minnesota and, and elsewhere. And I, I'm kind of navigating academia right now. I'm in college again, and I'm finding that you know, I took an introduction to education course and uh, they covered education uh, broadly in the United States, starting from like uh, the 1400s uh, going all the way forward until present. And, you know, they covered um, segregation and all of those types of things, but they completely skipped over native boarding schools as if that was not a part of the history of education in the United States. And it most definitely is. And when I implored to talk to my teacher about it, they basically said that if I wanted to know more about it, that I had to take a Native American studies class. And I just don't think that that's really in alignment with what we need to be doing um, to educate people, you know, in the state of Minnesota to be good relatives to all types of people here in Minnesota. Welcome. Uh, you know, that statement there, we could have a whole, whole show on what he said or he or she said to you. That's mm -hmm. ridiculous. Yeah, it is. It really wow. is. And to just fail to make that connection, that it, it's just, it's common sense. It's a, it's an easy connection to make that uh, boarding schools are part of the history of education in the United States and that Native people are part of the history of the United States. And they tend to just continually erase us and continue to do that harm. And when we take the effort to put Native American information into curriculum alongside, you know, all the other curriculum um, that they're talking about, you know, then it doesn't become this, this painful separation and we can actually move forward, you know, to healing and to making these things happen. So I yeah. think ultimately that would do the, the most, um, the most work and see Allison just said too I never heard about boarding schools when studying to become a teacher it's awful it is it, it, it really is and I don't know Robert if you got any of that training when you were teaching heck no but what I what I want to say too is uh, you know I had a, a friend of mine reach out to me about uh, was it okay if he did a land acknowledgement and I said, dude, the land acknowledgement's for you. <laughs> we already know this is like, uh, for instance, Minnesota's Lakota, Dakota land and Wisconsin's Ho-Chunk land and, mm -hmm. you know, Ojibwe up north. But so it was kind of a funny conversation because we've had that conversation here uh, many times that uh, we know from our history, from stories, from who we are our, uh, and uh, what we've gone through, a, a lot of us, and I'm still learning, um, but uh, it, it's our white allies that need to know and that need to step forward too because we're only a small percentage here in the state, like 3%. I know they always say two, but I say three just to throw it up there a little bit. But um, you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, when we talk about – um, you know, being a Native person and those kind of ongoing harms that we experience, you know, on a day-to-day -day basis, um, that's part of it. It really is. Yeah, I know. And it's funny, too. I, I know somebody that um, has a, a younger sister and they're at a certain, they're in their 20s and their younger sister's in, uh, just graduated from high school. And uh, 
just how and and she looks more white than her sister you know same parents you know just the way the gene pool pool popped out um and she can see how people treat her sister differently and and i know you talked about that too in the past yeah you know growing up um my sister is uh looks a lot more native than I do. And she experienced a lot more, you know, direct racist comments from people. Um, and I kind of got the indirect, you know, people assuming that I agreed with them about, you know, those dirty yeah. Indians or whatever comments they had. Yeah, exactly. We can jump in and maybe we'll talk a little bit more about that after a break. I also have another clip, but I think we've kind of hit on something and maybe we can talk a little bit more about uh, the governor of Minnesota's uh, speech. All right. So, hey, We'll be right back. This is Native Roots Radio Presents. I'm awake. Hey, Olgama, I've been hearing a lot about this term, climate justice. What is that? Climate justice is recognizing that the negative impacts of climate change don't affect all people equally. It also means transitioning from a fossil fuel-based economy to a more sustainable future. MN350 is one of the groups that's pushing for this transition to protect our futures. You can even get involved, too. That's great, especially since I'm concerned about pipeline projects like Line 3. How can I help MN350? Just find them on Facebook or visit mn350.org. Native American rights are on the ballot April 4th. Vote for Judge Janet Protasewicz. She values Wisconsin's tribes as sovereign nations and recognizes Native rights with fairness and integrity. Judge Janet understands the importance of issues such as missing and murdered Indigenous women, treaty rights, and hunting and gathering. We deserve someone that knows these things matter. In-person early voting begins March 21st. Check your municipality's early voting schedule at vote.wisdoms.org or call the Voter Protection Hotline at 608-336-3232. You can register to vote at the polls on Election Day with a photo ID and proof of residence. Your tribal ID can be used as a photo ID to vote. Stand up for your people. Vote for someone who will stand up for you and stand up for Native rights. Vote for Judge Janet Protasewicz for Wisconsin Supreme Court. Paid for by the Democratic Party of Wisconsin as an in-kind to Janet for Justice. The Senior Linkage Line is a free statewide service of the Minnesota Board on Aging in partnership with Trellis. I have volunteered with seniors nearly 15 years working alongside their compassionate team. I am honored to partner with Trellis as we help our elders find housing, compare costs of Medicare prescriptions, and learn how to avoid fraud and scams targeting seniors. We help our elders optimize well-being as they age, and we can help you too. Reach out today at trellisconnects.org. Hi, I'm Jane Fonda, and you're listening to Native Roots Radio. And we're back to Native Roots Radio presents I'm Awake, and this is Robert Pilot. Hey, everybody. This portion of the show was brought to you by Howling for Wolves, protecting wolves for future generations. Howl! Howl! Right on. Hey, it sounded good with just two. That was awesome, Ogama. Uh, you know, let's uh, jump a little bit back into what you were talking about, because I think that uh, we we're just uh, at the end of the break. You know, it, it's interesting, you know, um, TV shows, movies, you know, people uh, masquerading as a, as a different race, seeing how people are treated in a different way. But again, it sounds like you and your sister really lived through that in a real way. Yeah, yeah, we did. Um, like I was saying before the break, um, my sister looks a little bit darker skinned than I do, a little bit more native than I do. I'm, you know, effectively white passing in a lot of situations. And um, she experienced a lot of direct um, racist comments, you know, words that I, I don't want to repeat on the air. And I experienced a more kind of indirect um, you know, comments about, you know, oh, you know, kind of whispering under your breath about the Indians and not really realizing that I am one, um, which is always fun um, as, as somebody uh, who who can be like, um, and, and that's me. So why don't you tell me again what you have to say about them and just kind of watch the, you know, all of the color drain out of their face. But um, another thing, too, when we were little, you know, my dad uh, was 
tall and dark skinned, had tattoos and all those kinds of things. And, you know, we used to go to like our local county fair here. And when I was a kid, there wasn't that many Native people around town here. Um, and they certainly probably didn't go to the county fair uh, very often. And I remember thinking that he was magic because people would just get out of the way. I'd be holding his hand and people <laughs> would just move. I didn't realize how I was in middle school. That is because people were afraid of him. They were afraid um, to speak to him or that he was going to, you know, do something. And here he was, you know, with two little girls, one on each hand. And um, it's just a, it's a strange that realization to have, you know, as a young person that people are afraid of you. Yeah. Wow. I'm chewing on that. That's uh, really interesting and really, um, I don't know, really personal. That's uh, yeah. That's well, crazy. Even now, my husband um, has some of those same reactions sometimes when we're in public, too, for reasons that we can't always put our finger on. Um, we had one really bad experience at our local Target where, where another man was, you know, kind of getting in his face. He was silently just staring at him and staring him down, and we couldn't figure out why. And uh, when we, they, him and his partner left before us, um, and we waited back a few minutes to, like, come out of the store. When we came out of the store, he was in his truck waiting for us to come out. And, and my husband is, is a larger Indian guy with long hair and he's, he's never been in a fight. He'd never hurt anybody. Um, and he kind of froze. And, and it was me that like, I, I had anger in my heart. I yelled at the mm. guy and told him to leave. <laughs> but yeah. I mean, you know, I had anger in my heart for him because, oh, you know, what are you doing? What right do you have to make us feel afraid? You don't have that right. You know, whatever it is your problem is with us, take it with you and go is my thought. And, um, yeah, that's <laughs> Angie Vig just commented. She runs big guitars and she said, when someone says I didn't look native, I would just respond with, why don't you draw me a picture of what I'm supposed to look like? And that's and exactly you know, it. You know, that's kind of in the same thing we were talking about, Ogama. uh, we were talking about, I don't know if we were talking about it on the show, but we talk about native artists and then that's not native art because there's not a teepee or a eagle drawn on it. It's like, no, this is a native person that does art, so he that makes him or her a native artist. So it's all these preset notions that I think, you know, uh, Generation Z doesn't have, you know, whether it's uh, with gay people or, or, or you know, our two-spirit people or trans people or, you know, marriage, uh, all these things that my generation and somewhat your generation, I mean, you're a lot older mm -hmm. than you look, not a lot, but you're older than you look, but, um, you know, that uh, somebody like Zoe's generation really doesn't uh, have to deal with, it, at least in the progressive areas. Um, I don't know what's happening farther, the, the farther away you get from tall buildings, but, uh, <laughs> you know, that's my, my perspective right now, Ogama. Right. Well, and you know, I, I've, in my area, we've actually kind of had an influx of people from the Twin Cities. I'm about a couple hours north of the Twin Cities. And um, after the riots that followed George Floyd's murder, there was a pretty large influx of people who were moving into this area and uh, quote unquote, away from social justice. And many of them, you know, consider themselves to be progressive, you know, allies, um, but they didn't want to, to stay. They didn't want to stay, you know, when the fighting happened, when the rioting happened, when those things happened. They weren't, um, they weren't on board for that when it threatened them, you know. And it's really hard to say you're a good ally when you run at the first sight of danger and you're not, you're not there with those, with the people that you claim allyship with. That's kind of like uh, what we used to call people chickens. You know, I have, I have feelings for that. You know, I have small, I have young children and I, I couldn't imagine the trauma that they would have gone through and that our family would have gone through had we been in the midst of, of those riots and those kinds of things. But I mean, I, I drove into it to be there to help right. at the American Indian Center um, because right. it's important me and you know would do it again if I wasn't currently a food source for my youngest so that may change in the next couple of years but you know people do a lot more with their actions than they do with their words and you know getting back to what Governor Walls had to say I really really hope that the actions line up with the words this time mm -hmm. um, and that you know we see those working together we see those um, 
people advocating for this and we see that work happening at the legislature to get um, the these organizations funding in the Twin Cities and hopefully they're able to take some of that funding and you know branch out into the wider areas of the state. Yeah, uh, it's 16 groups and they have 14 projects and uh, and a lot of it or most of it is here in St. Paul and uh, Minneapolis. Uh, but, you know, I heard some personal stories of people uh, getting help from these organizations, homeless people, uh, all these things that, uh, you know, the, if the natives are running it, they're being one of the things the governor, I'm again paraphrasing, had to say was like, if the natives are working on native problems, they'll get done. It's not somebody that's out of the community that's going to fix it, you know, or what we always have issues with and is is what is it called white uh uh you know savior yeah thank Mm -hmm. you right white saviorship that uh sometimes ekes in and life is full of boundaries so you know that's that's an interesting thing ogama yeah and you know it's good that we have allies and it's good that we have people who are advocating for our rights as well because a lot of times as a native person they don't listen to us but they'll listen to other non-native people so we need our allies we need those people to help raise and amplify our voices as well Um, but we also need them to understand you know when it's appropriate to step back and let us take care of our own business because we know how to take care of our people better than anybody Right. And that's all the way from uh, touching somebody's hair to, you know, uh, powwow etiquette to uh, we're not a bunch of savages getting drunk all the time and powwowing and 49ing and all those things. Uh, Ogma, great uh, show. Uh, Your insights are always so valuable and important to uh, this show, but also our community that listens to us. So I got to give you a big hoo Hey, all right. Hey, if you're listening to the show, you are part of the resistance from Chief Plenty Coops. The ground in which we stand on is sacred ground. It is the blood of our ancestors. We need to resist, divest, join a group, run for office, and I'm adding vote. You know, I, you, I know make voting a tradition. We're still here. We are the seventh generation. Free Leonard Peltier now. <laughs>